Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm. You are listening to Storygram Podcast Network. That's right. We are here and back. Well, not back because we've been doing this for a while. It just feels like we haven't. <laughs> we are here and we're going to continue our Gothtober. And today we are going to talk about what we do in the shadows. It is a comedy, horror, fantasy mockumentary, which I agree. It definitely it is. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and it was created by uh, Jermaine Clement. He has also done Bloodsuckers in 95, Fizz, Despicable Me as a voice cameo, Men in Black 3, which I don't know if that one was a good one. But he, most notably, you're going to know him from Flight of the Concords. Flight of the Concords. Was he really in that? God, it's been such a long time since I've yes, seen Yes, I thought that's what I recognized him, but I wasn't sure. Okay, so he was in 22 episodes of that. And also he was the fart in Rick and Morty. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know Rick and Morty so well. What? I know. <laughs> Everyone's obsessed, but I don't know it. Okay, yeah, he looks familiar now. Right? Maybe that's why it's so good. <laughs> it's starring Matt Berry, Kayvon Novak, Natasha Demetrio, and Harvey Gillian, and Mark Porschek, and Christine Scal. And it is five seasons, 50 episodes. Oh, yeah, it's on FX, and it came out in March 27th of 2019, and it's still going on. I watched it on Hulu. Yeah, we watched it on Hulu. We watched it on Hulu. (laughs) You know, it's funny. When you have ad blockers on, it doesn't play the ads, but it'll just give you the time out. Like, it'll make you wait. It'll be a blank screen. It's great. I'm watching it on the TV, and (laughs) I don't have ad blockers on my TV. What's frustrating about Hulu is that the sound goes up significantly for the ads. So you have to like have the remote ready to mute. And it really is annoying. Because you know what I mean? Like it's like, I don't want to hear ads anyways, but I don't want my ears destroyed. Right. <laughs> like where you're just like messing with the volume the whole time. or I don't know. It's just really frustrating. 
I'm like, I have to pay more. You can pay and have no ads with Hulu, but I'm not there yet. <laughs> no. Okay, so the premise of the series is it takes place in Staten Island, New York, and it's like a reality show, and this film crew is just following these vampires, supposedly, or they are vampires in the series, and they just kind of like follow their everyday life in a way, and you could easily watch like a few episodes and get what's going on because it's just like cheesy everyday life. And the funny thing is, is when they use their powers or whatever, it just looks fake like a B movie. Yes. (laughs) That's what's so good about it. It's just like, this is so amazing. And then but the makeup is good. Like the their makeup really is good. good. There's some good makeup stuff going on as well. So there's this interesting and the set design is really amazing. Like they live in this weird mansion-y type house that looks kind of like a castle <laughs> inside and but it's like boarded up with like newspapers and stuff so it's this strange mix. Yeah, and it follows these three vampires, Nandor the Relentless, Laszlo and Nadia. And there's also their, what is it called? Familiar, the human familiar. Guillermo. (laughs) Guillermo. (laughs) And then kept calling him Gizmo. (laughs) And they have an energy vampire named Colin Robinson. Yeah, and they always call my full name, right? Colin Robinson. And he's a daywalker. And he looks just like a regular man. Like an annoying man that works at like... An office. Uh, an office. Right? Uh, yeah. Oh my God. His episode alone, like I was yes. in stitches, like crying, laughing because it was, it was so, so good. good. <laughs> it was really oh. good. So, yeah. So, the three are kind of like regular vampires. They live off human blood. And then they have an energy vampire who can actually feed off of them too. Like, so they don't like him around because he's, he does it through boredom or irritation. To get your energy. (laughs) (laughs) And when you watch it, you laugh because you're like, I know these people. (laughs) I've worked with people like this or I've experienced that. So I think that's why it's so good. Yeah. And I wasn't able to watch the whole entire season, even though I really wanted to or watch more. But maybe after this, I'll bunker down. I think I'll probably keep watching it as well. The pilot is amazing. Like it kicks off. There's no like warm up like, oh, you need to watch a few to get into it. They're really good right off the bat. Yeah. And they all have their own story in a way. Like they're from like Europe and they come over by a ship. And then like Guillermo, they're familiar. He always wanted to be a vampire. And so he's like working for Nandor. The destroyer, or whatever he is called. The relentless. The relentless. <laughs> <laughs> the relentless. He's working for him for ten years now. That's where it starts. Like it's his ten year anniversary, so he thinks he'll be made a vampire. Like he's excited. Yeah, and so he gets super annoyed when he doesn't. And the last episode I watched was Varen's Night Out. Yes. Oh my god. That's really good. So the Baron is a very ancient vampire from the, as they call it, the old country. And, you know, they came over like 200 years ago to the U.S. So I don't know why they don't know more about the United States, but they know almost nothing. They're pretty dumb (laughs) in a really funny way, like (laughs) clueless about stuff. 
So the Baron comes over in his coffin or whatever. That's where the makeup is really cool because he's like decrepit, like skeleton type, like really sunken in and like red, glowing eyes. Like he doesn't look human in any way, shape or form. It looks like he's been through some battles. And mummified. And so he's visiting because he wanted them to take over the new world. And (laughs) they haven't even taken over a couple streets yet of Staten Island. He's kind of like their boss in some ways, right? Like status wise. It's so funny too, because like when you think about like, okay, so they moved over a couple of hundred years ago, but they still haven't bought any new clothes. It looks like, or they're still wearing no, they're very dating. <laughs> and they act like the way like some goths want to be, but <laughs> So that's when you're watching it. It's like, that's just the way they are because they're like from this old Victorian era or something. And what's funny is I thought it was really funny. It's the theme running in the first season because they've come back to it is that they're always looking for virgins. Like they're like, oh, we need virgins. And oh, then they go to like my, the LARPing my. people, the live action <laughs> role playing group. I mean, it's very funny. <laughs> I was in... St- oh my God. That was so good. So So there's these funny twists and it's just funny to watch them shopping to like Nandor wants to impress the Baron. And so they're shopping for things and he's like, I need glitter for my face. So he's like a Twilight vampire and he's got his creepy paper to decorate (laughs) the house. (laughs) It's so silly. Like it's so good. And there's a lot of cameos. So if you're like, you love them, there's some amazing, the emotional vampire, who's like the energy vampire. She's a very funny comedian. She was a guest on there. and She was so good. Yeah, that was really good too. I don't know why I'm drawing a blank on her name, but she's fantastic. That was a funny episode because you kind of think, okay, this energy vampire is not a real thing. And then every once in a while, you'll see like his eyes glow. Yeah, like he gets excited. Like he's just fed off of someone from telling them a really boring story. (laughs) (laughs) And you see the other person's kind of slumped over, (laughs) exhausted. (laughs) And I love it when they eat food. They just like projectile vomit. Yeah, they do not eat human food at all. But that's so the Baron's night out. So you watch that one when. So the Baron wants to go out and they dress him up to go out because he was really dating himself with his collars like he's wearing those rough ruffly collars double ruffles or <laughs> they put him in like regular clothes like a baseball cap on and he still looks like a scary mummified decrepit you know what he looks like he looks like dracula in um what's it called dracula the movie coppola one yeah remember when he turns into like the actual like dracula yeah, but he's got like those creases. Yeah, that's the way he looked. But he doesn't have the weird hairdo. Yeah, but that was just every once in a while. I don't remember that movie well enough. Yeah, so anyway, so it's very funny of them going out and him wanting to try pizza. Oh. <laughs> have you tried this pizza pie? <laughs> <laughs> and then he keeps feeding off people pretty recklessly. And so there's gore in this. Like there's like, it's like blood spurting. It's so, it's really dumb. But he drank off someone who was drunk. So he was like drunk. Like he was like. And they're like, they decided to do like a beer, a keg stand of human beings. Shots, shots, yeah. And then they were partying and then they drank uh, drug blood, as he said. So they were all high. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, that was amazing. Oh my Did God. you see the werewolves? Yes. <laughs> There's a group of werewolves as well in the show. So that's pretty good. And they're not fan. They have a truce with the vampires, but they are not friendly with each other. Right, right. Oh, that was so good. Oh, Paul Rubens was in it too as a council member. Yes, and Tilda Swinton and Wesley Snipes and Whoa, I can't even believe Wesley Snipes was in it. Yeah, That's there's funny. like a there's like a an, a Danny Trejo. So there's like a whole host of celebrities. It's probably the next episode actually from what you watch. So you have to watch the next episode. I did listen to I think it was Las Culturistas podcast had Harvey Guillon um Gillian on. So I got to hear a little bit about the behind the scenes from that podcast interview about how they filmed and how Harvey auditioned and they were like, we like you, we'll call you back kind of thing. And we start on this whatever day. And then he got a call on a Friday before the Monday of filming or something. And so he assumed he did not get it. <laughs> and they were like, no, we start Monday. And he's like, I thought there were callbacks. They're like, you're the only person we didn't call back because we all liked you. <laughs> so everyone else had to do chemistry testing except for Harvey. <laughs> so Guillermo. Um, and he said they filmed the first season, I think in 10 weeks or something. It's pretty short because I think there's... It's like nine weeks for 10 episodes. It was really fast. It sounded like but he didn't get to read the script ahead of time. So he oh, wow. doesn't know, really know what's going on in the storyline at all as an actor in it. Like they're just like, you're scared in this scene or you're this in this scene. So he was unaware <laughs> of the plot. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. So it was an interesting thing to find out. <laughs> okay. So I'm reading the filming of this and it says one of their main influences was Bram Stoker's Dracula. Awesome. That makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense with the clothing too that they're wearing and stuff. What's up with the with this with the gardening? And he's like, Laszlo is like creating shapes like he's a bunny rabbit, but then he has a whole garden of vulvas. Yeah. <laughs> like, why? That's all the women that he's been with, or something. But why is it his mom is in there? Oh right! He can't, he's like my masterpiece, my mother. You're like, and that's always fine. Bart's like, I don't know why this is in here. It's so gross. <laughs> 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 he talks about his mom, but I just thought it was really funny. But it's just really random. Right. I don't know if I missed something. I'm like, am I missing something no, about you're this? You're not missing a single thing. It's just to start okay. the episode of just, the werewolves peeing on the this absurdity stuff. of yeah. it all. So it's very absurd. I love it. Yeah. I'm trying to think of, and I think they film in Canada. Yeah, they do. They they film in Canada, Toronto. Yeah. Listening to the actor talk about was really fun. Harvey seems he was really funny. Yeah, my friend actually recommended it to me. He was watching on FX. So I was like, okay, this sounds funny for Gothober. I got to see this thing. It's based on a movie, though, right? It looks like it was. Yeah. I don't know that movie, so. So their influence was Fright Night. Martian, Lost Boys, Nosferatu, Interview with the Vampire. Oh, yeah, yeah, you can totally see that. What I like about it, too, is they show a lot of weird artworks. So when they're describing, like, the old days, they'll show these old pictures of, like, depictions of vampires and bats and demons and things like that. And I actually find it really fun to see all the visual 
worked. Yeah, too. And I love the pictures of them from way back when and everything because mm-hmm. they're slightly younger and they look, or they're paintings of them where they look like they're just conquering something. And then you see them in like in today's world and they're like, kind of like, yeah, okay, whatever. It's just so funny. Well, okay. So what we do in the shadows is a 2014 New Zealand mockumentary horror comedy film. Also. Yeah. Okay. So then he took his film and turned it into a series. Oh man. I might have to see the film now. Yeah. I'm kind of curious. I don't know who's crossed over from it. Or if it was kind of a standalone thing that then they changed into. Right. Well, let's take a break and we'll be right back. Storygram Network. Hello. Welcome to One Media, One Media. I'm your host, Takeshi. And with me, I have Santos. And we take two pieces of media and we take a deep dive on them. Kind of. We just talk about it. Kind of. Hi, my name is Laura Lee. And this is It's Not About Food. So it's not about food, and it's not about weight. What is it about? It's the intersection of possibility, where what-ifs and why-nots collide. Some on the cutting edge, others on the cutting room floor. It's a place I like to call The Bleed. And we are back, and we're going to talk about Swan's Soundtracks for the Blind. It was released October 22nd of 1996. It was recorded from, no way, it says 1981 to 1996. Well, I guess they had some recordings in there from a while ago. It is a experimental drone post-rock genre. It is... An hour and 41 minutes and 37 seconds long. Why is it on Spotify? It's two hours and 21 minutes. Maybe it's 141 minutes then. <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm just curious. And then my, why do they say 2001? Is that when they got it? What do you mean 2001? That's when the album came out. But I know that's not true. No, that's not <laughs> true. <laughs> it's 2001 on here. Like, why is it? Maybe it's a reissue. No, the reissue was on 2018. That's so weird. Yeah. I don't get Mm. it myself. This album was the last iteration of that band because it was the last recording with Jarboa and the rest of the band. And at the time, I don't know if you looked it up or decided to watch that documentary. Luckily, there was a documentary. (laughs) we read like an essay like spotify has the longest swans description like it's so long it actually it was like a whole chapter of a book about the swans usually spotify it's like sums up a band but it is lengthy and detailed actually it was like on and on about how the swans started and these people were and then those people were and then i say jarbo 
was in it and then has shifted, whatever. It just is super lengthy. They've been around for a long time in different variations. They've been around for a while. (laughs) Okay, so the documentary I watched was from Amplified. It was two hours and 37 minutes. It was a long documentary. You can't tell your story in an hour. And it's called Swans, Where Does a Body End? Unfiltered, Unveiled. And it was actually really good and fascinating. I recommend it if you are a Swans fan, because when I listened to the album, I was very shocked how good it was. So I was like, okay, I'm going to proceed with this documentary, which then gave me more of like a direction of how the band started. And so Michael Guerra, he was... It's Girard. Girard, Girard, that's what it is. Michael Girard. <laughs> they have weird names. I'm sorry, not weird, but you know, like I feel like their names are spelled certain ways, but then pronounced totally different ways. And yeah, I was corrected. I was like, I kept calling Girard, and then I was told it's Girard. I was like, oh. I always heard it, it was Yarboa, but it's Jarbo. It's Jarbo and Girard. <laughs> I think we've combined their names in weird ways. And he would go by M. Jara too. He wouldn't go by Michael until later, too, which is funny. Okay, so he has a pretty long and troubled childhood, and that's where the swans comes from, is letting out all his aggression and emotions. It's the only way to explain it. But he was in this other band before the swans called Circus Mort. And it's kind of more along the line of like post-punk or not power pop, but it's just more of that New York poppy punk with some synth in it in a way, but with his voice. Early 80s? Early 80s, if not even like 70s, like late 70s or something like that. He broke up the band. And the other thing about Michael Girard is that he was an artist before. and. He heard if you want to make it big or become a professional artist, he read about this other artist. He said that you need to make 50 art pieces a day, like 50 drawings a day. That's how serious he was about it. And so I think some of those album covers are from him or by him. And is he from the South? He's from New York. Oh, he's actually from New York? I think so, if I remember right. She's from the South. She's from Atlanta, if I remember right. Yeah, Atlanta, Georgia. I think so, anyway, if I remember right. And he was put into boarding school in Europe, and he kind of did a bunch of acid and followed the hippie movement back then. And then he saw some punk rock bands in L.A. I think it was L.A., And it was so inspiring to him because it was just like all this raw emotion and this rawness during the time that he ended up just wanting to do something along that line. Jarbeau entered the band. It's so interesting. Like she sent him this letter, like almost the first fan letter he ever got because Swans before Jarbeau, they had like three or four albums before her. And it was kind of like really loud, clanky, slow punk or industrial in a way. It was just really loud. And then when he got this letter, it was almost like this resume in a way. But it was just talking about how she understood the band 
and how she really wanted to meet him. And he didn't even know that because she sent the picture. The picture was of two people and it was a female and a male. And Jarbo doesn't sound like a female's name or a male. You know, he couldn't tell. Mm-hmm. So he thought it was the guy in the picture. And then actually she's female. And so when they met, she encouraged him to actually sing with a singing voice instead of a yelling voice. And she taught him how to sing and use his stomach to sing instead of just his throat. Yeah, because she was trained. Yeah, I, I, I guess she was trained. Yeah, definitely. You keep saying you guess. She was trained. Yeah, she was trained. <laughs> she's a trained singer. She couldn't have a voice like that without the training. That you know what I mean? So she's like a jazz and opera background. He, but she talks about there's a quote of her talking about how he helped her unlearn some of that stuff so she could sing rock and roll. So it sounds like she did the opposite for him and helped him learn how to sing like a professional. <laughs> well, at least to save his well, voice. He could have yeah. ruined his voice, probably. Yeah, he said he'd lose his voice constantly until yeah. he learned how to sing. Or at least use his stomach to sing instead of. Was he only interested in in Jarbo at first, thinking it was the guy? He didn't know. Like he was just like, I don't know who this person is. Okay. So he used to play with Sonic Youth all the time, Mm -hmm. and then I guess I can't remember the guy's name right now. He said, "Oh, it could be this girl in the picture," and Michael was like, "Oh, huh." And so they were together during these five or six albums. And this was their last album together because they were breaking up and it was just a way to break up the band and kind of depart from here, too. Because they had the Swans together and then they had their own side project together, too, World of Skin. World of Skin was also theirs? Yeah, I think it's just Jarbo and Jarrah together. Huh. So, anyways, they were creative partners and also romantic. (laughs) <laughs> right? Like they yeah. were together. But they weren't married, right? I don't think No, they weren't married, but they were together for some time. And a lot of the reasons why they broke up was because Michael would just go out to bars and just throughout New York and just drink nonstop and get really obnoxious. I think he's kind of cruel. Yeah. Very mentally abusive. And mm-hmm. they have a song where the recordings are in there. Of him being a complete dick to her. Wow. Yeah. And I think it's in The Great Annihilator. They have that in the documentary. Yeah. And they talk about it and everything. It seems like they get along now. She's come on stage with him and they played a song together. And when they broke up, he started Angels of Light. And people were pretty upset with that. Well, Hardcore fans, because it was just him with an acoustic guitar. And oh, <laughs> didn't have the sound at all that they like. No, and his whole entire logic of that one was that if it didn't sound good on acoustic guitar with him just singing, then it wasn't a song. Or before, it was just like this layer of sound like the Swans is. Oh, so he like went way stripped down version. Yeah, and then eventually he just wanted to go back to doing Swan stuff, so... That's when he started that pack up again. And that's a, like, kind of like, is it a rotating roster of people in the Swans or? Pretty much. Like he had this one roster of people or this one band. And then in 2017, he said, or 2016, he said, this is going to be the last iteration of this version of the Swans. Mm-hmm. And 
it seems like he's kept a lot of the band members, but he's replaced a couple of them. And it shows them writing their last album together, and it was intense. They're getting in like arguments. And Michael Sherrod, he doesn't give like notes. He goes by emotion. <laughs> and so he's saying, you need to go like this and do what you did yesterday. And so when you're arguing with somebody with thinking that he's playing the same thing he played the day before, it gets intense. Yes, I can see that the communication isn't fully there. If you're like, oh, I liked how you played yesterday that one time. It's like, I'm sure if you're that person getting that feedback, you're like, what about it? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, was it faster, louder? Like, <laughs> like more feedback. So yeah, I can see that. You're probably jamming out the song for like maybe 40, 50 hours by now. So you have no clue what he's talking about in a way. Yeah. Like, I am playing the same riff. No, you're not. <laughs> And they played in September, and now I'm really regretting not being able to see them play. See what their experience is like. And their live experiences early on, right, were like really loud, like kind of destroying people's eardrums. Oh, yeah, <laughs> like, definitely. Right, there's some sort of experimental stuff going on. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, if you listen to the album that we're going to talk about right now, you could totally tell it would be like this Wallace sound just listening to it, complete and total wall of sound. That's probably about it with the history. I mean, he's still doing it and people are appreciating him. But when he was with this iteration of the band, uh, they were finally kind of getting some notoriety where some people were finally coming out to see them. And when they announced that this was going to be their last album together, it was pretty much sold out at all the shows. Yeah, so I think Jerbo felt some animosity towards that because it was like they're finally getting the recognition that they're getting they're packing these houses and now they're gonna break up after all this time but she was in it when that happened or yeah during soundtracks for the blind oh during that one okay yeah this is the last album yeah and then she went on to do lots of solo and collaborative work oh man I have to say her and Neurosis is one of my favorite collaborations. When I first heard her album, her solo album where she plays like a she devil, I still remember it because it was just so horrid sounding. And I think that was the whole entire point of it. (laughs) And like, she's like painted all white, completely naked. And like, there's like close up pictures of her. Private parts and stuff, and it was just like, oh yeah. god! You're like, how can I see everything? That's crazy. Don't want to see your bits here. <laughs> yes. Keep that to yes, yourself. I do and remember she looks that album. Like wretched in it, and that album, like it kind of tainted me. I need to listen to that one again. I don't think it's on Spotify, but it sounded awful. But I think that's the whole entire point of it. Mm-hmm. But death. we open this episode up with her doing cover of Joy Division and you could hear her beautiful voice. Yeah, definitely. And the funny thing is, is like listening to this album, it sounds totally just like they're not trained in any way, shape or form. It's just like this weird free form of like noise at times. And it'll be like this long riff or drone for maybe five minutes. And then it just changes and shifts into something else And it's just like, what the hell did I just witness? And it catches my ears, even though it sounds very lo-fi. And at times, like, their singing sounds really bad. But it 
sounds good with the music, but it's not like that's what I like about it. It's just like it's art for the sake of art. It's not like supposed to sound beautiful to everybody. It's supposed to just be like you got to take it in and understand what it is or what it is to you in general. Yeah, I agree. I well, I don't like to say it doesn't sound trained. There's something it's like like you said when you said it was art. That's where I got it because it's like when you said he works more on emotions. Like the work is very emotional. Like it elicits emotions from you. So it might not be technically. Maybe there's some, like you're saying like, oh, the singing, but it all goes together. It's all purposefully created. And even if it's like a flow and maybe it shifts and changes, but there's something purposeful about it versus just being like untrained. Yeah. My first run through it sounded like really just like, what am I listening to? This is like (laughs) the biggest mess, but like I dug it. I don't think I got through the whole album because of the two hours I got it. It really like makes me go, no, I don't want to listen to something this long. You know what? I was just listening to while I was working out or in the car and like it was just fine. No, it was too much. It's down. It's down energy. It's got a slow vibe to it. And I was not in the place where I could get... I think I was... My mood was that album. And so therefore, I could not listen to it. I was like, this is too much of what I'm already going through. So, And the thing is, is like, who was it? Mgara or Mgara? From this album, I think he only played guitar for maybe three or four years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's it's pretty funny. Like It's like, wow. Because before that, he would just tell people what to do or whatever. Oh. Um, Jarbo is a keyboardist. She played keyboards, correct? Yeah, and trained. Like she's, she's like the studied one. I don't know who else was in the band. Was there any other people of note that came out of the Swans? Um, and this one, and let me see who the personnel was. Yeah, I'm sure they are, but I just was curious. Like, oh, is there anybody who was like you're like, oh, and then they started this other band? Not really. I don't recognize any of them, but. That's the thing, like, it's what they wanted. Like, they took recordings from, like, their parents, you know, their geriatric parents at the time. And the guy talking in the background, talking about how he's legally blind, that's his dad. Oh, I couldn't listen. That's the type of stuff I couldn't listen to. I was like, I can't do this. And then the the lady (laughs) in there is her mother. Oh. They said it was a cathartic album because it was, like, helping them get through their relationship slash like their parents passing away Mm. and yeah so and so it was a good bookend for this iteration of the swans Mm -hmm. or swans i was argued with about them being goth or not and that they are not goth like it was like come on please they are so like they're not goth music Oh, but goths love them. But I was like, but there is a crossover with the goth community and the swans, though. And he's like, they're not goth. I'm like, that doesn't matter. Like, they still fit into gothtober because look at the darkness they bring and the emotion and the complexity and the layers. And I was like, we don't have a narrow definition of goth. I mean, come on. We put FK Twigs in there. I know. He argued that, too. But I was like, "Mm -mm, Uh, that album is a masterpiece. And... It's going into Gothtober. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, like, you could say that they're not goth, but it's like the experimentalness of it. And it's 
experimental rock, industrial, neo folk, post punk, mm-hmm. noise. Do they rock. consider themselves no wave at all, or no? They're not part of the no wave scene. You know, I don't think they really try to put themselves in anything, but no, I just what, meant like if they came up in New York at that time, then you get kind of right, right. But I feel like they cross paths with that world, just like the goth stuff is kind of cross paths. <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay, they could say Neubotten is not goth, but they definitely are like a literal industrial band. They take the term mm-hmm. literally, so like. It slumps into that goth side of it. In the documentary, when they broke up with this iteration, there was a bunch of goths there. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I don't know. Most of my friends who are goth love the swans. Yeah. So I was like, they have to be in Gothtober. They're kind of a legendary band. Oh, God, they're so legendary. And I have the album just sitting in there. And I've heard this album before. And I've heard other stuff by them. And in their early stuff, it does sound like pretty early industrial music because they are banging on pipes and all this other weird. So it definitely is in that genre of like industrial kind of experimental rock and definitely singing about your emotions and that's totally goth. Processing. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's almost like saying like. Coil isn't goth. Coil's so goth. <laughs> right? I mean, anything kind of experimental gets slumped into that, like, goth side of things because they're more into doing that instead of, like, doing some mainstream thing or playing danceable music. And So this album, to me, is, like, so amazing. Like, ah, oh, man, I listened to it, like, I swear to God, I listened to it, like, ten times. Just... Like, I was so into it, like, everything about it. And now, like, I'm a pretty big Swans fan. (laughs) Yeah, like, I'm sold. (laughs) Yeah, like, I really want to see them live, just wear ear protection, which I always do. And I don't know if they do that with their sound anymore. What? They're super loud? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. My friend just saw them. And he said, oh, Um... yeah. They were the loudest band I've ever seen, ever. They were so loud that I think I have permanent damage from this thing. I was like, oh, okay, well. Well, wear earplugs. (laughs) Um, Jarbo definitely wore earplugs. She would make a show of it. Yeah, and if you're a fan, definitely see the documentary I mentioned. It's definitely worth it. I can't really pinpoint a song in here. It's weird because they have like this song where Jarbo's just singing to this really cheesy, stupid techno beat or a house beat, but she's like singing about this crazy weird about like just, well, being looked at. That was interesting. And then there's just so much to unfold here too. Of course, there's like acoustic guitars and everything and the way that everything just kind of shifts in this too. is just so damn good. Can you tell I'm a fan? You are a fan. (laughs) And he has like a, this kind of a bad background though with the women in his life. (laughs) So just asterisks his stuff. Yeah, yeah. It seems like he he does. And he even says in the documentary that he was a total asshole when he was drunk and 
he totally understands why people probably hate him during that era. And if you watch the documentary too, you can totally see like he pro- it doesn't look like he drinks anymore. Uh huh. Like maybe he's grown as a person. He definitely has grown as a person. <laughs> and what's funny is that like before each show, the band gives each other a big hug, like they're going into battle. Or I know it was really all the stuff that we had to get to this venue because you have to go through sound check and all this other. Yeah. And there's probably all this bickering. Give each other a hug before they go ahead and do this crazy ass show. So I was like, wow, man. This Let's is, need to see that. This is a process intense. of a band. Like, so you are a fan officially. Yeah. yeah super good. They're good. Like I said, I'll have to take more time with the album because it's very long. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You can pick a random song out of it and then like <laughs> kind of absorb it from there. It did happen that way where I put the album, like I liked the album. And so then therefore my liked song list will pull from wherever, like they'll just mix in songs. And I was like, what's this song? I really like it. I don't know it. It was from <laughs> Soundtracks for the Blind. So I was like, oh yeah, I do really like what they do. I just, you have to be in the right mood sometimes for certain albums. And definitely just like, if you go into their early stuff, that. <sighs> so crazy sounding like filth and there's a couple other ones but there is one where at one point they were really trying to get a mainstream audience <laughs> I think it's love of my life or something if I remember right and it, it didn't go well it didn't sell well at all or anything yeah I was if you read the I can tell you, there's like a whole, like, I feel like it's a Swan's dissertation on Spotify. It's very long, but it, it, they do talk about when they've had some commercial success and they name some of the albums. But I swear they said it was when they covered the Joy Division song that they actually ch- got on charts. But but when I see the song, it just says Jarbo. It doesn't say the Swan. So I don't know if some of the that stuff... That was definitely her own that she released. That's what I thought. So I was like, I don't know who's lying here but <laughs> I'm not sure if she's done some of it with them and then on her own I wasn't I wasn't sure and well it said it was released uh, 2015 under Jarbo so I, don't, I didn't know if there was another version but anyway I'll just p- randomly pick a song oh yeah pick a song you know what okay I'm gonna hit random <laughs> And it'll just play something randomly.
song so uh <laughs> it's probably gonna develop into something else that i do some know. of them are like 15 there's a 15 minute song on there, there is too. yeah definitely that's an amazing song if I remember <laughs> right. yeah it's really good so that was yrp <laughs> go team yeah so i think anybody should check it out if you're into loud experimental Acoustic, sometimes emotional art. <laughs> sometimes it's just dark and gritty, like Yum Yab Killers. Yeah, some of That's it's really dark. Uh, yeah. So, anyway, so should we just wrap this up now? Yeah. You can find me at all social medias under Glitch Unicorn. And you can find me at some social medias as Sister Santos. All right. We'll see you, I guess. Next week is the last one. Or what? Halloween. No way. Yeah, I think this is four, right? <laughs> More October coming <laughs> soon. <laughs> All right. Talk to you next week. <laughs>